Good morning, church. I am so encouraged you're here. I love seeing you all the time, but Christmas Day, I am so grateful, especially for the kids who are here, because I know you had to pull your parents away from their presents and their toys today. In fact, I can I know you are more interested in the timing of the service than you ever have been. <clears throat> and I want to know, I want you to know, this is my fourth Christmas Day service. They roll around about every seven years or so. And um, I was taught very early on to end on time on Christmas Day of all times. Because my, one of my children, who will remain nameless, but 14 years ago, she was five, and uh, Christmas Eve, she got a watch for Christmas. She was very concerned that we would end on time. It was a 10 o'clock service. It was supposed to be end at 5 till 11, and it, at, uh, at 11, but at 5 till 11, one little hand, and hands are noticed in a Presbyterian church, one little hand went up like this, and the other one went like this. Show me the left hands of all children who got watches for Christmas. Mac, I know you got one. There it is. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm aware. I want us to look briefly at Micah chapter 7. We're finishing the book of Micah next week, actually. We're going back to chapter 6, verse 8. But uh, we'll go to the end of the, of the book today. And we know that uh, Santa visited every house last night. We know that objectively. The name is right there, to so-and-so, from Santa, yes. What is in question is why those presents have appeared. You know, there is this invention of the idea that uh, those presents appear because you're good or because we're good. But that's been disproven through the years, hasn't it? It can't be. It can't be that we were all good through the year. That's why we received these gifts. There has to be some other reason. It's an old strategy, the idea that you can motivate people by threat. If you just motivate them that if you're not good, you won't get a present. If you are good, you will get a present. It never works. It works for a short time, motivates for a quick time, but it never lasts. How does God motivate us to be good? We begin reading in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and then we'll turn over to 7. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Now chapter 7, verse 14, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest. In the midst of a garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. 
As in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show the marvelous things the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob, steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Open our eyes, O Lord, and our hearts today that we would be encouraged afresh by your grace. And your grace would make us good. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, amen. <clears throat> I have a dear friend, a pastor friend older than I am, a mentor, who adopted his oldest child, his son, went on to have uh, a couple of other daughters, but his adopted child, he adopted when he was a toddler. My friend knew of the condition the boy was living in. It was not a good one. It was a terrible one. It was a tragic one. His father, his biological father was was impulsive, addictive, abusive. And so my friend and his wife adopted him out of this situation. Even at an early age, he was imprinted by his father in a very negative way. And over the years, they, with heartache, watched their son, no matter how much they loved him, what kind of atmosphere, what kind of uh, culture they created for him in their home, he lived like his father. He continued to, to bend toward his biological father's impulses. Every night as they would put, my, my friend would put his son to bed, he and his wife would go through a little liturgy. They would say, you know, we saw you for the first time when you were, when you were three years old and, and we decided to love you and brought you into our home. You are our son. You have our name. And there is nothing that you can do to make us love you anymore. There is nothing you can do to make us love you any less. We love you no matter what. We are committed in love to you. Now, there were many days when they had to say that by faith because he was very, very difficult, very... uh, impulsive, very irresponsible, mean, inconsiderate, and selfish. Grew up, went away to college. He continued to live out that, that record, getting himself in all kinds of trouble, doing all kinds of things that were displeasing to his dad. Went on to graduate school, continued the same. 
number of us reached out to him through the years. And one day I was playing golf with him and I said, um, John, not his real name, I said, John, when are you happy? He said, when I make my parents happy. What makes your parents happy? When I do good things, when I do the right things. Ah, then why don't you do the right things? Because I don't want to. Now, before we judge him in our hearts, we have to admit we're the same, are we not? We know the good to do, but we don't do it. And we don't do it because we don't want to do it. How do you motivate people like that? The same way God motivates us. Now, there's no doubt about what God wants us to do. Chapter 6, verse 8. These people in the earlier verses, you know the kind of people they are. They're selfish, they're self-consumed, they're self-righteous. They tread on the poor, they're uh, inconsiderate of those in need around them. And they are, they are aggravated that, that God requires them to go to worship. And so they exclaim, what should we do to make you happy? Shall we give more offerings, rivers of oil? Shall we give the firstborn of our flocks? My firstborn child. And God says through Micah, verse 8, he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. He's not told you to earn your salvation. He has told you to do these things that are in keeping with his character, justice, mercy, and humility or faithfulness. Now, does God have a right to demand these things? What, what, what is, who is God that he should determine who good people are? Well, here, are the, here is who God is. He is the creator. We are the creatures. It's in this verse, isn't it? He has told, he has told you, O oh man, O oh woman, what is good. There is this infinite distance between the creator and the creature. This, this, this distinction, I should say. This eternal distinction. There will never be a day... When this distinction is erased between the creator and the creature, the creator then, therefore, has the right to tell us exactly what he wants us to do, what he requires of us, and he does it. Foreign religions that are surrounding Israel were used to this kind of thing, gods having a will for them. What they were not used to is what God goes on to say. He has shown you. He has told you. He has told you exactly what he requires of you. Other gods didn't do that. The other gods let people guess. They, 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 would, they would infer, they would, they would uh, reason that the, the, the god was, uh, was angry with them. They had to do something about that. They had to placate him, had to expiate their, their sins. They had to get rid of them. They had to turn his wrath away in some way. And they were just guessing at what was making him angry, how they could satisfy him. And they would do the most desperate things, even sacrificing their own children. God is not like that. God never lets us, never, never asks us to, 
to search around, trying to figure out what we've done to make him angry. He's not passive-aggressive, saying, I'm mad at you, and I hope you figure out what it is. Instead, he tells us, he's told us, he tells us what he wants of us and what is good and what it is, what is the definition of good. He unpacks it in the, the, the rest of this verse. It is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we're going to spend a lot more time on that next Sunday, but we can't pass over it without giving at least a little explanation before we do. He has called you, O oh man, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. What is justice? Justice is what is right, what is in keeping with God's will. And last night when we studied chapter 7, verse 9, we understood uh, how we become just. It says in seven, chapter 7, verse 9, I have sinned against you and I look to you for my vindication. The very first step to being a just person is to be justified. It is to be reconciled to God on the basis of justice. God doesn't sweep sins under the rug. He sent his son to die in the place of sinners so that, that his justice would be fulfilled in him and then he could extend righteous to, righteousness to us as a gift, but a just gift. So the way you are justified or in a just or right reconciled relationship with God is by asking him to give you the gift of righteousness that Jesus earned for you. Now, some of you I know say, that's such an old message. You have to keep repeating it every time. Yes, we do, because it's so hard to get. And so many people miss it. Even an, uh, a, a, an elderly friend of mine last night said that she'd, she didn't feel like she could take communion because she hadn't been to church enough. She has to hear. She needs to hear as you and I need to hear. You're not made just by your good doing. You're not made righteous by, uh, by earning enough good points on the other side of, of judgment to balance the scale or tip the scale toward God's favor. So you have to be justified. And when you are in a just relationship, when you're justified relationship with God, then your impulse must be to do justice toward others. And what is that? It's just truth put in action, as Benjamin Disraeli said a long time ago. It's the truth of God's word. It's what he says is good and what he, the way he acts toward us and what he wants for other people. That is, that is doing justice. We'll talk more about it later. Mercy, what is mercy? Mercy is his undeserved favor, of course. It is his has said love. It is that love we've heard from other scholars say is astonishing and surprising. Not only undeserved, but far beyond what is expected. He's shown you that it is good. To be a good person is to do justice, to seek justice. To be a good person is to do mercy. It is to astonish people the way you love them. And then it is to walk humbly with your God. Or 
We could translate it faithfully with your God or dependently with your God. It is to walk in dependence upon him. Not presumptuously as these people in Micah was addressing who thought God will love this offering that I'm going to bring because he needs a lot of blood. He needs a lot of oil. He needs a lot of fire. It's instead to say, I have nothing to offer you. I can't do what is right. I, this day, want to walk with you. I need you to guide every step of the way. It is dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Another senior saint shared with me last night that she thinks that the, that the power in corporate worship is explained by, you know, how, how much more powerful is worship when we're with other people as opposed to just watching it on, on a screen. Some of us can only do that. I understand I'm not judging you. But there is a power when we come together. What is that? And she, she taught me something like that she, last night. She said it is the concentration of the Holy Spirit. It's a concentration of of people coming together who are dependent on the Holy Spirit. It is to live in dependence upon him for every good thing. Jesus repeated these standards in the New Testament, Matthew 23, verse 23. He said, you are all focused on your tithing and you're tithing even your, even your, uh, your spices. You need to focus on the weightier matters of the law on justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The summary of all of God's will, all of his directives, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Well, there it is. There's what you need to do to be good. Just go out there and be just, and go out there and be merciful, and go out there and be humble. Praise the Lord, the text doesn't end there. The whole of the end of Micah explains how God is going to motivate us and empower us to be just, merciful, and faithful. It's by his own grace. You see it in in verses 14 and 15. He knows that God is faithful. Micah prays, shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst, and shepherd them, they're dwelling alone in a forest, shepherd them to a garden land where they can graze in Bashan and Gilead. That's the point. You're in the forest. You're, that's, that's a hard place to graze sheep. Oh, Lord, please take care of your people's needs. Shepherd them into an abundant land, a land like Bashan along the Yarmouk River where cows get fat, where the, where the pasture land is lush. God is faithful to meet our needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. you you've ever watched sheep? You don't see them worrying, do you? You don't see sheep out in the pasture wringing their hooves. Where is my next meal going to come from? Running around in circles, looking pensively 
and where they were going to get their next meal. They just hear the shepherd. He says, come on, go over here. Okay, wander over, start eating again. It's the way the child of God, the Bible says, is to live. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Now, I'm a worrier talking to worriers. But do you know that every problem in my life, every problem in my life is either solved or put in its proper perspective when I really believe what is true, God loves me. And Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It is not in my job description to worry or to be anxious. God doesn't need my help as much as I tell him he does. My job is to seek him as my king and trust him to provide everything that I need. What can motivate you to be faithful? By looking at the Lord who is faithful to you. He's never been unfaithful. Whatever you're worried about now, think of the things that you have worried about before and how what has happened. There's been tragedy in your life, I know. But overall, has God not provided faithfully for your every need? A friend of mine used to say, why pray when you can worry? Worry works every time. Tongue in cheek. You know that worry has never worked. But focusing on the faithfulness of God, that will make you faithful not only to trust in Him, but to be faithful toward other people. What's the secret for mercy or justice? Justice in verses 16 and 17. Here it is. The nation shall see, see, and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. Why? Because of the dread of the Lord our God. God will bring justice. It must be on the tip of our tongues as it was on Abraham, who when he was faced with things that he just could not understand, he would repeat, will not the judge of all the earth do right? No matter what you can't understand, no matter what is beyond your calculation, when you don't understand how evil can continue, you must repeat, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Justice, God will bring justice. And then mercy. To become a faithful person, you focus on the motivation that comes by the grace of a faithful God, the grace of a just God, and the gracious love of a merciful God. And that mercy, that mercy is at the heart of God. When, God. when Moses asked God, show me who you are, show me your glory, God said, here is who I am in my essence. I am mercy. I am compassion. And that mercy and compassion takes four forms in our passage. I want you to look very carefully at it as we conclude with verses 18 to 20. Who is like you a pardoning and pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? There's the first thing. There are four things that we need from God's mercy. We need his forgiveness. And here you have it in this verse. There are three categories of sin mentioned. Sin and iniquity and transgression. 
Sin, we learned last night, is missing the mark. It's just maybe unintentionally not fulfilling God's law. Iniquity is twisted. It is to be crooked. It is to be wicked and evil. And then transgression is premeditated rebellion. What category of sin pains your conscience today? It should be covered by one of those three words. So what does God promise to do for that kind of sin? Those three words are covered with four verbs. Those three nouns covered by four verbs. God says he will pardon, forgive, tread upon, and hurl our sins into the ocean. On the day of atonement, this was quoted And sometimes people dramatically would gather up their sins symbolically in their cloaks and dump them into the river. They would hurl their sins into the river that they would be washed away. You need forgiveness, God provides it. Every form of sin covered by every form of mercy and more. We also need patience. Notice how God says it. Verse 19 He will again have compassion on us. He will again have compassion on us. We need his mercy to be patient. We need sanctification. God doesn't change the rules for us. Instead, convicting of us of our sin, moving us to repentance in response to his grace, he moves us along in new obedience, sanctification. As you have pledged long ago, he says in verse 20, show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Don't give up on us. Keep sanctifying us. Finally, we need true love. The true love that is spoken of in verse 18. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. You need to know you're truly loved. And God proves, demonstrates his love in the gift of his son. How do you become a good person? By focusing on a good, gracious God who is faithful, who is just, and is always merciful. William Cooper, the hymn writer who struggled with depression and, and, the, and the anger and wrath of God, captures this dynamic in one phrase of one of his hymns. To see the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and a duty into choice to hear that the that the law of Christ is fulfilled by Christ to hear that judgment has fallen on him and that he has pardoned me it transforms me from a slave trying to earn his favor into a child who delights to say to his father thank you Well, my friend's son made it to graduate school, continuing to live his ungrateful and arrogant 
addictive, indulgent life. And one day while he was lying on his bed and regretting the way he had spent yet another day, he was overcome by it. He was sick of himself. He was sick of his life. He rolled out of bed, threw his knees on the floor, and assumed a posture of prayer that he remembered having with his mom and dad as he was growing up. And he said, they told me I was loved. Why did they love me? God, why did they love me? Show me why they loved me. And God redeemed him. God converted his heart and taught him they loved you because they had been loved by me. Now that man went on to do other irresponsible things and hit an even lower low, which became another opportunity to show an even more astonishing love and forgiveness. It has made him a contagious witness now to the indomitable love and mercy of God in Christ that alone has the power to make people who do not want to do good into those who love the good, which is faithfulness, justice, and mercy. May God bless you with that encouragement on this day of his incarnation. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for preaching the gospel to us again and again and again, for retelling it to us over and over. Oh, Lord, may those who have never been convinced of it, may this be the day of their salvation. Those who have lost sight of it, this, this be, may this be the return. Those who are doubting your love and favor and justice and mercy, would this be the day that they are overwhelmed and swept up in it and bask this whole day in the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. God's people said, amen.